WTF interview. I'm Sir Royce Brialis with my prestigious co-host, Dr. Raheem Young. What's going on, brother? I'm well, man. How are you doing? Hey, I'm well as well. <laughs> and also we have uh, <laughs> a special guest, uh, uh, Mr. George Stewart. How's it going, man? Doing great. Thank y'all for having me. Doing well. Yeah, yeah, thanks so for joining us. About, uh, oh, yeah, thank you back. Yeah. Tell the people about what you do and uh, you know how many kids you got, you know, your story in regards to, to that. Absolutely. So, again, George Stewart. I'm based in Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi, to be specific. Um, my, my, I guess my trade, what, my, what I do is I'm an educator in Jackson Public Schools. I teach middle school. Also, aside from that, I do a lot of work in advocacy, advocacy, so I do a lot of work surrounding policy, trying to get policy implemented and, and signed into law. That's kind of like what I'm working on right now. Do a lot of board work, um, board work, committee work. I'm on the NAACP Education Committee. I work on an organization called Our JPS, but we're working to get community schools brought to our school district. I'm a husband, a father. I have a seven-year-old daughter a 10-year-old son. My son is diagnosed. He's, he's autistic. He's nonverbal autistic, as a matter of fact. And so his autism diagnosis is pretty much where, when I speak about being an advocate and my advocacy work, him being diagnosed with autism is really what sparked my advocacy work in that regard. So I've been, I've been a full-fledged advocate since he was born, trying to make sure that he gets the best possible education as needed. And then it kind of stemmed from just advocating for him to also advocating for kids who are just like him and trying to get laws and policies passed that better support kids that are diagnosed with autism and other mental health and behavior health challenges as well. I'm also a board member of an organization called Families as Allies, and we support families who are raising children with behavior and mental health challenges. So again, I'm an educator, but you know, I wear many different hats, but in the end, it's all about supporting kids and families and trying to get them know where they need to be to be to be as successful as, as successful as they can as possible in life okay so how did you uh how did you and your wife learn that your son was autistic like what were some of the things that you all saw great question so you know when you when you're first time parents one of the things that or a lot of a lot of parents a lot of especially wives or, or women they buy this book, this developmental book, like, you know, this book that kind of keeps up with the developmental, how it's supposed to be at certain months and certain steps. This is what they should be doing, right? And so my wife, she had one of those books. And so we were pretty much kind of trying to keep up with where my son should be at a certain point in his life. And one of the things that really concerned us was by the time he was one, he had no, he had no language at all. He wasn't talking. So that was really what really sparked our concern as far as something could be an issue with him. So we actually got uh, him checked and he got his diagnosis. He was close to two when he got diagnosed. But, but again, to ask your question, it was about him not being able to speak at, at one. And he's, and, and he's 10 years old and now he still has no language. So, yeah, so that was the thing that uh, concerned us. And that's what the thing, the thing that kind of tipped us off to get him checked and And that's how he got his diagnosis. Okay. So what have been like some of the challenges that you all have experienced with um, trying to get your son in treatment? Yeah, so 
the treatment aspect of it is not necessarily as difficult as for as far as the treatments. Well, I take that back. There is there is no for that. So that's that's number one. There is no cure for mm-hmm. autism. There is no. You can only try to help better the child situation through intense therapy. So that's kind of like where we are right now, as far as, you know, with the school district, just making sure that he has the best possible therapy as possible. So he has occupational therapy, he has speech therapy. Of course, he has his his general special education teacher. But the challenges that we have as far as, you know, for those that are not familiar with autism, autism is is, is a developmental disorder that affects the child's ability to communicate, as well as it affects their social skills. Mm-hmm. So with my, and, and it, it's also important to know that autism is a spectrum disorder. So what that means is there's a spectrum that kids kind of fall under. You have your high functioning autism, autistic child, all to your low functioning autistic child. Some fall more so low functioning and severe, mainly because he doesn't have language. So that kind of puts them on that on that on that portion of the spectrum. But a lot of the challenges that he have again, he has um, no speech. You have the the behavior issues that come along with it. I mean, you're talking about a child that that doesn't speak. So you can imagine some of the behavior challenges that may come with that when one is trying to express himself or herself and is not really able to express themselves. Um, effectively. So you have the behavior challenges, the outbursts and things like that, the meltdowns and things of that nature. So those are some of the challenges that we have in regards to um, our son. This is a day-to-day, day-to-day thing, but you know, my wife and I, we're committed. You know, that's, that's our child. You know, we love him and we're going to do everything that we can to do to make sure that he succeeds. And, 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 and as an educator, we always believe that every child can learn. And so mm-hmm. although he's not you know, making the strides that, you know, that a general, you know, or, or traditional child would make. He, he, he is, in fact, learning and we're very proud of him. Okay. So how long, um, you say that you're an educator. How long have you been a teacher? I've been a teacher for 14 years and just signed up for year 15. So I've been doing it for, been doing it for a while. Uh, congratulations on that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. How, did you. how did you know that you wanted to teach? Well, I'm going to tell you, it was, it was interesting, man, because I initially did not go to school to be a teacher. I actually went to school. I wanted to be a sports agent, you know, be a sports or uh, work in sports marketing. I actually got my degree in sports management and business. So that's kind of like, the path that I was trying to go down, but things don't always, you know, happen as planned. But to answer your question, I was in Houston, Texas, 2005. I ended up moving to Houston, Texas, and I'm gonna come back to that in a second on why that's also, on why that's also significant. But I was in Texas and I was working for a uh, electronics company, uh, an electronics and appliance store. And so there was a lady in there, older lady, who I was working with on helping her, you know, find her appliances and work with her and things like that as far as getting her um, the thing that she was trying to buy. And the thing about it was I'm in a fraternity. 
and she happened to be a sorority sister of mine, as well as a retired educator. And so we were having a conversation, and she asked me, you know, my background and things like that. She asked me what I wanted to do and what what have I done and things like that. She asked me a question that that I thought was very significant. She said, "What are you doing here?" And I was like, "Ma'am," she was like, "What are you doing here?" And so she was she went she went on to talk about you know with my background and just being a black male in general, you know, educated black male, how much impact I could have you know, in the classroom and working with kids and working in education. So she pretty much, you know, convinced me, you know, to, to kind of give education a try. Um, I also kind of to circle back, you know, how I ended up in Houston, Texas to begin, to begin with, we were talking earlier about me being in Mississippi and things like that. Well, after college, I ended up moving to the, to the coastal area of Mississippi. I moved to Gulf Corp, which is our Mississippi Gulf Coast. And in 2005, we were affected, we were hit hard by Hurricane Katrina. You know, you, you hear the news and you, you see the news and things like that, and you hear a lot about New Orleans and how impacted New Orleans was due to Hurricane Katrina, but the Gulf Coastal area of Mississippi was hit just as hard, right? So because of my, because my area was so um, badly devastated by Hurricane Katrina, I ended up moving out to Houston, Texas alone. So I was in that migration of people from South Mississippi, as well as the, the the people from New Orleans, so I was in the midst of all that migration out to out to Houston, Texas. And so the thing about that, man, the way the city of Houston took us in, man, after that, after that, um, that 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 whole, that whole catastrophe, man, I, I was very appreciative to the city of Houston. And so, so to kind of circle back to your question, man, I thought that that was a great way to kind of give back to the city of Houston. Also, was to also serve and work in work in education. So. That was another thing that kind of made me want to get into teaching as well. I just thought it was a great way to get back to the city that took us in after, after Hurricane Katrina. Gotcha. That's, that's, uh, that's awesome. That's an awesome story. Uh, what do you think, um, almost 15 years of 15 years of teaching, uh, what was the, the biggest thing you've learned teaching during those years in relation to you being a father? Like what uh, – I guess what two, uh, how, how do those two correlate with each other? I'm going to tell you, that's a great question. The thing that I learned and how it trickles over to fatherhood is discipline. You know, we grew up, a lot of us grew up, you know, getting that belt, getting that switch, you know, or <laughs> uh, whatever mom and daddy could find, <laughs> you know. And so we, so we grew up thinking that that was what discipline was. And then you fast forward years now, and I mean, to be real, you really can't discipline kids like that. Not, you know, not, not these days without there being some type of, you know, comp, some serious, some serious consequence, right? So what I learned as a teacher was how to discipline kids, you know, with love, without having to put hands on, without having to raise your voice. And it's really, really um and, and and be effective in that regard so my so my way of disciplining kids and you know no, no nonsense but at the same time with love is legal you know and everything like that so that trickled over into into the way i parent you know so you know being more proactive instead of reactive you know when it comes to discipline and things like that you know so i would definitely say like classroom management 
You know, that, that kind of trickles over to home management. You know, when you talk about making your environment, your classroom environment conducive to learning and making it fun and engaging and how that trickles over to less behavior issues in the classroom. And you bring that over into the home. You know, how do you make your home conducive? Make it, how do you make it a loving environment? How do you make it engaging? How do you make it a loving place? And how that triggers over to, you know, a pos positive behavior. So, so those things definitely, you know, intersect and they, they, they definitely uh, interlap. So I would definitely say how my, my classroom management, home management, discipline, those, they definitely work hand in hand. So being like a, a, a black male teacher, do the kids uh, look at you differently than they look at like any other uh, teachers? Uh, you know what? Possibly in that we can, I can relate as a black male, especially the black, especially black boys. I can, I can relate to what they're going through. I understand their struggles. Uh, you know, I'm looked up. I'm looked as a, you know, big brother, father. I'm not big brother, kind of a, you know, sometimes father figure, what have you, but. You know, so, so that so that in that regard, yes, but I won't say you know there's this, there's this misconception, there's this idea that being a black male, the discipline, you know, kids are automatically more prone to listen, or your discipline is a lot more easier, or it's a it's you know being a black male, kids are gonna fall in line just because you're a black male, and that's not and that's not always the case. You know, I've seen a lot of black women. Or a lot of women in general whose discipline is just as tough and just as effective as, as black men. But as far as being a, you know, being a male, black male, you know, they, they definitely, they definitely look at me as somebody that can relate with their struggles and, and, and relate to what they're going through. Gotcha. Um, how would you say uh, your relationship is with your dad or, or what would you say you've learned uh, from your dad? You know, growing up? Uh, you know, growing up, well, I, w I would say, if anything, I learned forgiveness. Because uh, my dad, you know, growing up, my dad, he was, and, and, he, and he, would tell you this, he would tell you this story, you know, as well. So I don't want to, I feel okay with telling his story in a way. But my dad was, he was in and out of the home because more and more out than in because he was he was on drugs so he was in and out like i said more out than in so i didn't necessarily grow up with that that fatherly example or the positive example of fatherhood so i didn't necessarily have that however as i got older and so and i had some type of resentment I feel looking back, I, I do feel there was some resentment. But what I've learned as I've gotten older, you know, we are we're at a, I think a, a good place. So I've learned, you know, what it means to forgive, not to forget, but to forgive and, and move forward because now we have a, a pretty good relationship. 
You know, so I, I would have to say forgiveness and um, redemption is what I learned you know, from my father. Gotcha. How old were you when your dad um, like started to come back around and when you all started to um, build a stronger relationship? I was about I was maybe college age, maybe. I was I was I was, I was older. Maybe okay. maybe early twenties, late twenties is when, you know, things kind of started to, I guess, turn around for us. Hmm. Okay. So, so yeah, so I, so I, was, so I was older. And, like, who initiated? And I, and I, and I, and I tell Oh, go ahead. He, um, I, I, I was, oh, well, I, I think the question you were going to ask was who initiated it. He, he, he did. Okay. He did. He came, he came, he came to me, and... Uh, he was, you know, he asked for forgiveness. I mean, he put it all out. And that's another thing that, that I, I can say I got from him is that not, I learned that it's okay to be vulnerable. And I think that helped with our relationship because he came to me, you know, with the heart of uh, he was sorry. And he came to me as somebody who's appeared broken and vulnerable. And so that right there is something that I, that I learned that I feel that it's okay to be vulnerable. You know, it's okay yeah. to show emotion. Yeah. So um, he initiated it. And, you know, like I said, I, there, there, I, at, there were one, there was, you know, at one point, I didn't feel like I would be able to do that, but we're in a good place though. But he, but he definitely was the one that initiated it. And and and, I, and, I, and I'll say this, and I'll say this. My wife and I got married thirteen years ago, and I, and I'll say this as well. And that's something else that also uh, helped with our relationship as well is that he became a minister. So he so he's in the ministry now, but um. So our, our connection, our faith is another thing that kind of binds us as well. So that's, an, so that's another component to that. But, but yeah, so the quick, quick story is that, um, as I mentioned, he's a minister. And we had gotten to a place to where we were good. And my wife and I, we got married 13, going 13 years ago. And I thought that one of the things that, would definitely bring our relationship full circle was that he would be the one to officiate my wedding. And um, it's crazy, but um, he didn't, he didn't show up. Mm. You know, mom, I, I thank God that my mom had somebody, I thank God that my mom had somebody kind of waiting in the wings because she understood the type of person that he was and she understood his issues and his vices and things like that. So she was always somebody that was, that always looked at him as somebody that may not be as dependable as I thought he, he was at that point in time, mm -hmm. but he didn't show up. And that kind of, that, of course that disappointed my wife. 
disappointed me as well because that would have been a thing I thought would have brought our relationship full circle. But again, him being who he is, me being who I am, you know, it's, we're, we're, we're in a better place. We're, we're, we're still at a pretty decent place now, though, despite that happening. But which part didn't he show up for? Was it the uh, rehearsal part or the, the, act, the, the actual wedding? wedding? The actual wedding day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, man. And so, and like I said, man, I, I, I'm just glad my mom had, had another minister kind of waiting, you know, on the sideline <laughs> just in case just something like this happened. Like, yeah, here you go. You, exactly, <laughs> yeah. you know. So, so that so that worked out. But again, that, that goes back. It could have been one of those things to where he kind of went back to an old habit. I don't know. We didn't talk about it, but. It could have been it could have been that thing, but you know, me being who I am and, and where I'm at in life, you know, I, I just, you know, I don't dwell on it. You know, I can forgive and you know and move forward. But at the same time, kind of, you know, kinda of, as they say, feed with a with a long handle spoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't forgive, but don't forgive. Exactly. Yeah. So being that your, like your dad was in and out of, of the household, what, um, well, who was like a role model for you growing up? Oh, man. Um, my church, for one, you know, I had my pastor, mm. had the deacons around. So, so, so that, so I didn't necessarily, I had, you know, I grew up around older guys, you know, I mm. played basketball. So I always hung around the older guys and played ball with the older guys. And then my school, the thing about growing up, you know, in a, in a rural environment, that the only professional, or I, not the only, but I say predominantly, most of, the, most of the professional black men were teachers. You know, and that, and that could be because, you know, living in a rural environment, there are not a lot of opportunities in rural environments. So if you, if you see a black male who's a professional, at least from where I'm from, more than likely he's an educator. So I didn't. I, so I grew up black male teachers, my pastors again, deacons. So so I didn't necessarily lack for that positive male influence in my life. I will say that. Okay. And now um, going back to uh, your kids, um, you mentioned that uh, your son's ten now, and. Uh, What's been uh, the biggest, I guess, development or biggest growth that he's experienced uh, since he's been diagnosed with uh, autism? I'm gonna tell you, it is we're we're actually experiencing it right now, and that is because he doesn't speak verbally. He has what's called a uh, AAC device, so it's like a speaking device, and so for a while we've been trying to get him to use that speaking device in a way that he can express his needs and wants. And I'll say during this pandemic, you know, I've been home with my son the whole time since we've been out for the pandemic, I've been home with him. So I've been the one that's pretty much teaching him, you know, in, you know, in correlation and in, in, in partnership with his teachers, but I'm the one that's at home with him all the time. So just to see his growth, and him using his device to express his needs and wants now. And we're still building on that, but he's been able to use his speaking device 
to help express things that he wanted and need. And that's like one of the biggest things going right now. So we're very excited and proud about that. And so we're steadily building his language through that. And so we're, we're happy about that. That's great. That's great. So he's uh, being able to express himself a lot more. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and it's funny because cause, cause you know how boys are. All he wants to do is eat. So a lot of the things that he presses on his device has something to do with eating what he wants to eat. <laughs> <laughs> a big appetite. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, yeah, how about he, your, he's expressing things. How about your daughter? Uh, what have you learned from your daughter? My daughter, man, it's, it's great, man. It's compassion. You know, and uh, she's an advocate at seven years old, she's an advocate for him. And so it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Like the other day, we were at the park and there were some kids out there that were, that came out as we were playing. And one of the, and, and the, and the little girl asked my daughter, she was asking him about her brother, my son. And she asked him, she said, does your brother talk? And she told the little girl, no, he doesn't talk. And she went on to explain why it was he didn't speak. So to watch my daughter educate this, this little girl on his situation and to kind of let her know what was going on with him, it was, was a beautiful thing to see because, you know, we're advocates, but we're also raising her to advocate for him as well. And so it's, it's also beautiful to see her make sure that he's taken care of. So when she's offered something or when she's asked to do something, she makes it her business to make sure that he's included. So she's already making sure that people include him on things as well. So just to watch her advocate for him and, and show compassion for him is a beautiful thing to see. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So we're, uh, we're getting close to time, but I want to ask you one last question before we get ready to wrap. Sure. Um, what's like one, uh, well, what's some advice that you would give to a, a new father? Um, or how to, how to be a, a, a good dad to, to his child? I would say good advice is, you know, there's this concept, there's this idea that, you know, fathers are supposed to be the breadwinner and to be the person to physically take care of our children's needs. Mm -hmm. And that's part of it. But fatherhood, there's a, there, there are more components to that. You know, yes, we're all supposed to be there for our kids and make sure that they are taken care of physically, but we cannot forget the whole child. We cannot forget to make sure that we're there to support them as well as, as their spiritual needs, their mental needs, social needs, academic needs, you know, those things. And so just being there physically and, and taking care of the money aspect of it, that's cool, that's good. Yeah. But we must also be able to take care of them emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, socially as well. So I think when we're involved in the totality of our child, you know, then they will grow up to be the best 
the, the best, you know, human beings that, that they can be. So don't just focus on the physical aspects. You know, I, you know, with little girls, our little girls want, our little girls, you know, they, a lot of them, they, they end up, when it comes to choosing a mate, a lot of them choose men that were like their father, good or bad, you know? So we must, so we must make sure that we are taking care of our children, also meeting their social and emotional needs as well, you know? So just, just keeping that in mind, you know, that our daughters, you know, will eventually be, or will probably end up choosing somebody who was just like us. <laughs> our sons, as they say, will be what they see a lot of times, you know? So just making sure that we set a great example for our kids, man. It's, you know, that, that would be my, my advice. That's good advice. Man. I like that. So let me ask you this. Do you think this, does the same rule apply in the reverse? So does, uh, do boys, choose women that's like their mothers? You know what? I think so, man. <laughs> I think so. Because you know what? Because <laughs> my, my wife, man, reminds me so much of my mom, man. Mm. She she does. I, 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 I think so. <laughs> I, I, def, I definitely see a lot of my mom and my wife, man. I definitely see that. As I mentioned, my wife, my mom, she... No, she pretty much she pretty much raised my brother and I, you know, just to be real. Mm. And so always in my brother's hat. And so my, I do the same thing in my wife. You know, she will go without to make sure our kids have. You know, she knows how to do, she knows she's all around. She knows how to fix things. She knows how to cook. She knows, you know, she's an all-around woman. And my mom was the same way, so I definitely see a lot of my mom and my wife for sure. That's cool. That's cool. You know, I was thinking about that. I think um, I think it's a lot of my mother and my wife as well. So that, yeah. that might be true. <laughs> I <think> so <laughs> I think so. <laughs> All right, George, man, we, we appreciate you uh, jumping on with us, doing the, the WTF interview with us. Oh, man, my yeah, pleasure, man. man. Thank y'all. I appreciate y'all. Yeah, one more question, man. If people want to reach out to you, man, would it be a good place to send them? Sure. I'm on, I'm on um, as far as social media, I'm on there heavy. Uh, LinkedIn, which is how, you know, uh, Royce and I connected, you know. Uh, so LinkedIn. I'm on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and also um, through my, uh, I'm on, as I mentioned earlier, I'm on the board of a nonprofit organization called Mississippi Families as Allies. And again, we support families who are raising children with mental health and behavior challenges. And so the website is www.faams.org. Again, that website is www.faams.org. Dot org, and so I can be, you know, reached and connected via that organization as well. Gotcha. Yep, all that will be in the description below for the people. Again, uh, thank you again, George, for, for sharing your story, man. It's going to be a lot of value getting, uh, you know, coming out from the story, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank y'all. And don't hang up, man. Stay on. We're going to do a post game. <laughs> okay. Post game. So, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, for myself, Sir Royce Bialis, and for uh, Dr. Raheem Young, 
this is another uh, good episode, man. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. Peace. Yes, yes. Thank you for listening to WTF Interviews. If you want to get in contact with us, you can reach us via our website, WTFatherhood.org. Also, our Facebook page and our Facebook group will be listed in the description below as well. Uh, I ask you to leave a a review as it helps more people receive the message. And uh, again, until next time, be well. You already are.